theme, I want to share with you a message now that I've titled A Narrow Way Musical. A Narrow Way Musical. Many of you know that Amy and I took a short trip up to New York City just a couple of weeks ago, and we tried to make the most of our trip without spending up all of our savings in the process, and we wanted to see a show in one of those famous theaters out on Broadway, but we didn't want to break the bank in the process. And so I found this play that I thought that Amy and I would really enjoy. Uh, it, was a, it was a play that, that really, you know, kind of had some themes that would be fun for us, I thought, until I saw the price tag. Now, this play was a musical. It's a musical that kind of reimagines the story of the Wizard of Oz and shows that really the Wicked Witch of the West was misunderstood. She wasn't actually wicked at all. She was trying to good thing, do good things and was uh, misinterpreted and and maligned, and in the process, uh, she, being a champion for good, uh, became a, a true villain in the eyes of the public. But when we looked into the tickets for that particular play, we found that the cheapest tickets that were in decent seats, where you would have a good view of the stage, were going to be $210 each. Now, that's a New York City price tag, all right? Now, I tend to be a pretty frugal guy, so I'm not paying $210 to see a play unless the real Jesus is in it, okay? I, I mean, really, I spent some time thinking about this yesterday. Is there any other sort of play that I might pay over $200 to see? And the only other potential I thought of was maybe if there was a play that had Roy Williams in it, and he defeated that villain, Mike Krzyzewski in the process. Maybe I would you know, work a few extra hours of overtime at work. Some of you say that's a fantasy, and that's uh, not something that you're going to find. But being a Carolina guy, that, that might be something that I would invest a little extra overtime in. In any case, I don't want to spend a fortune to see a musical. So when I learned how much the tickets were for this particular musical that we wanted to see... I shifted into research mode to see if there was any way to find a deal on Broadway tickets. And what I found is that most Broadway theaters have this sort of lottery system for those who are looking for a deal on tickets. The way this works, you show up two hours before the day, before on the day of the show, you go to the box office of that particular show, and then you put your name in a hat, and 30 minutes later, they draw out 13 names. Each one of those 13 individuals has the opportunity to buy tickets in the orchestra, I mean, up close, for only $30 a ticket. And so we said, let's give this a try, you know? And our chances looked pretty low. There was a big crowd, but in a strange and rare chance of good fortune, we got our names called for one of those sets of two thirty. Dollar tickets. So we were able to see the play, this musical that we wanted to see, for a total savings of $380. And I can only speak for one particular Broadway musical, but the one we saw was very funny and very entertaining. And as you might expect from a musical, there were these frequent occasions when one character or another would break into song. And when that character broke into song, all the other characters would kind of fade to the back of the stage and the lights would go dim on them. And just for a moment, you would learn about the desires, about the ambitions, about what was driving 
that one character as the spotlight was on them. Well, when we look into God's revelation of the events of this very first Christmas, as they were recorded by Luke in chapters 1 and 2, we find something like a Broadway musical, or perhaps even something like what you've been experiencing here in this candlelight service here today. Because Luke writes as though he's a narrator. He weaves in this kind of tapestry of telling about the events that happened on that first Christmas. But on occasion, his narration stops, and we find that the characters that were involved in that first Christmas break out into song. It's as if everyone else has faded into the background. And just for a few moments, Luke turns the spotlight on, and we hear these songs of celebration and hopeful dreams of those who were finding God's blessing in the gifts of that first Christmas. Not only do we have the great multitude of angels who were there singing before the shepherds, as Todd read about here just a few moments ago, as they were saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. We also find Zacharias, who is the father of John the Baptist, singing out with joy in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 79. And we have Simeon in the temple of Jerusalem, offering up his own song as he beholds the eight-day-old Christ in Luke chapter 2, verses 28 to 35. But the very first Christmas carol on record is actually found in the song that we find in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. So if you have a Bible with you today, find your Luke, way to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46, and there you'll find a song of praise to God known as the Magnificat. You might even have that header in your Bible. Magnificat is simply a, a word in Latin that is used at the very outset of this song as Mary says, my soul exalts or magnifies the Lord. That's that word in Latin, magnificat. And so I thought through this message that I was preparing to share with you this week, and as I thought through what I would title this message today, I thought about that Broadway musical that Amy and I had attended but I remembered that Jesus said the Broadway is not the good way, right? That's the way that leads to destruction. And so, no, it's the narrow way that leads to life. And so I decided to title this message, A Narrow Way Musical, as we look into the words of Mary's song of praise. Now, you may be asking, were these words, when they were originally recorded, were they really meant to be a song when Luke wrote these down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Well, what I can say is this. In form and in content, Mary's words in this passage match the pattern of other Christian hymns of praise. They match the pattern, really, of what Jews would use in their hymnody. As we look to the book of Psalms, there are certain characteristics. The book of Psalms was very much meant to be a book of praise, a book of singing, a book of worship that was used in the Jewish assembly. 
And here Mary's song exhibits some of the same characteristics that we find in the Psalms. There's what is known as parallelism, where the author who is preparing these words to be sung would, would write the same thing the same way twice, but really write it a different way, two times in a row, drawing emphasis. Mary does that very same thing in the words that she says here. And in structure, these passages are composed the same way that many Jewish hymns are composed. So while I don't have any recordings of this song that you can listen to here on this day, many scholars do believe that these were actual hymns. These solos, these breakouts that exist here in Luke chapters 1 and 2, and in particular this one we are looking at here today with Mary. That doesn't negate the truth that God inspired through his spirit Luke to record the words of these songs. It just adds for us a little bit of flavor as we're reading through these songs to know that this is Mary's mentality as she shares these words. She is in a state of singing. She is in a state of joy as she voices these words. So if you have a Bible with you, join me now as we read the very first Christmas hymn together from Luke's Narrow Way musical in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and following. Here are the words of Mary. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich, empty handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her, that is Elizabeth, her cousin, about three months, and then returned to her home. This song of praise that's sung here by Mary at this critical time in her life is worthy of our attention. Mary was in a pretty unique sort of spot at this point in her life. She had just received a few days before this news from God's heavenly angel, Gabriel, that she will bear the Lord's Messiah in her womb as a virgin girl who is roughly around 15 or 16 years old. So there's a teenage pregnancy that is at stake here. And upon hearing the news, and also hearing that her elderly relative Elizabeth was now six months pregnant with the forerunner of the Messiah, who is John the Baptist, Mary travels on a journey of 80 to 100 miles that would have taken her somewhere between three and five days, depending on whether she was traveling by foot or traveling by caravan. And now she's arrived. So you can imagine that at this time, she's exhausted from the journey. And yet after a few statements of celebration and greeting her cousin, 
or her relative, Elizabeth, Mary breaks into this song that we've just read. You know, not all of us would have been singing praises if we were in Mary's shoes. There was a lot that was not going Mary's way. She was an unmarried, pregnant teenager. Think of the scandal that she faced in the public space. Her husband in waiting could have rightfully by the law ordered her execution. And beyond that, she was living in a nation that was under the oppressive rule of a foreign government. And yet, she says here in verse 48, she is living in a humble state. Mary is not living in a wealthy sort of state. She is not rolling in the dough. No, in fact, Mary is living in poverty. Not only is she financially impoverished at this time, she also realizes that she is headed down a road of destruction apart from an intervention that is higher than herself. How do we know that? Well, how else would she rejoice in one who had come to save her in verse 47? You see, Mary in this moment realizes that she is weak and helpless and hungry. Mary is just as humbled as she could be at this state and in this point in her life. And it would have been so easy for Mary to keep her eyes on herself and to be miserable in this state. How easy it would have been for Mary to focus on her own problems and to groan out a million woes. It would have been easy for Mary's song of joy to be drowned out. And some of you are here today, and your song of joy is drowning out. Maybe it's the busyness of this Christmas season. Maybe it's the fact that you're realizing your own failures. Maybe it's the inability to feel like you can make any progress in getting out of the rut that you've been in for so long. Maybe it's the meager life you're living. Maybe you're in the midst of some scandal or you're being oppressed by some relative or some co-worker. Thousands of different reasons could be to blame. But some of you have come into this service on this day and there is little, if any, of a song of joy in your life. And you find that your fuel tank for praise is running low or maybe even just plain emptied out. So when we sing these carols of Christmas, when we stand and we sing, you either find no inspiration to sing at all or you find yourself just going through the motions, just saying the words but really not bubbling up true praise from your heart. Are you there today, my friends? Are you there? Well, if that's you today, I want to point you to the song of Mary. I want to point you to this young lady who, with a multitude of things that were going not so well in her life, found a time to praise, found a time to exalt the Lord. She found something, a hope that was worthy of rejoicing in. And with nothing but a promise to cling to in the midst of potentially overwhelming circumstances, Mary says here, my soul exalts 
the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. My friends, that's a model for each one of us for how we should respond to the good news that Christmas brings. In fact, I want to use Mary's Christmas hymn in this narrow way musical to encourage you to follow in her footsteps. In light of all that Christmas means, let this passage be an encouragement to you to exalt the Lord and rejoice. Why? Well, let me give you briefly four reasons why you should exalt the Lord and rejoice from this passage. The first is this. Exalt the Lord and rejoice because he has regard for those who are in a humble state. Yes, Mary's in a humble state, as she says in verse 47. But through the promise that she had been given by God, Mary realized that the Lord had taken note of her. That's why she can say he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. And from this time on, all generations will count me blessed in verse 48. You see, Mary might have thought that she was a nobody from nowhere who nobody else cared about. But when the angel delivered God's word to her, she realized that even if nobody else had regard for her, the God of heaven did. And that's true for each one of us, my friends. God consistently has regard for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, regardless of how humble your circumstances may be. You don't have to be rich and famous and popular to catch the eye of your creator. Jesus says that every one of you is so valuable to God that even the very hairs on your head are numbered. Now, for some of you, that's a smaller number than for others. But still, God has great regard for you, my friends. And Christmas shows that his gift has been given to you. His promises are extended to you. I don't care what your circumstances may look like. And so I encourage you, exalt the Lord and rejoice because he has regard for those in a humble state. Secondly, exalt the Lord and rejoice because he has done great things. Mary is living on nothing more than a promise at this point in her life. And yet she believes God's promises. She has heard God's word and she trusts in what she has heard. She's a model for each one of us when it comes to faith. That's why Elizabeth would say about her back in verse 45, Blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary is banking on God's promises at this point. Even though the Savior is just an unfelt embryo in her womb at this very moment, she is confident that God is moving in a mighty way. And so she says, the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name in verse 49. Now you might say, well, of course Mary is rejoicing. She has been selected of all people to carry the Messiah. She's God's anointed transportation vehicle to bring his Messiah into the world. But that's not me, maybe you say. I haven't been chosen by God for such a high task. Why would I say that he's done great things for me? And I tell you, here's why you should say that he's done great things for you. 
Because as Mary goes on, she says that his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Now, I can only imagine what an honor it would have been to have been chosen to be the Messiah's mother. But Mary, my friends, had a greater blessing still. Because even if Mary had been chosen to carry the Christ child, but she was not saved by him, then sin's cold grip would have gotten a hold of her at some point. And she would have only been able to enjoy the blessings of God in her time here on earth. But Mary found something greater than sin's cold grip. She found something that endured beyond life here on earth. And so when Mary rejoices in verse 47, she rejoices in the one she calls God, my Savior. Mary had a greater blessing than being chosen. She had a Savior. God's gift of salvation had come to her. And his gift has come to you as well, my friends. For God's mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. God so loved the world. And the world includes you. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And God's gift is for you, my friends. And you must know that even when you've reached the end of your own rope, a saving arm has reached out to rescue you. And God has done mighty deeds with his arm, as Mary says here. Purely by his grace, he has extended to you an opportunity for everlasting peace. And friends, don't deny his grace. Trust in his promises. Turn from your sins and trust in a Savior. The Savior that this Christmas announces. Then exalt the Lord and rejoice because he has done great things. But thirdly. Exalt the Lord and rejoice because he has leveled the playing field. Verses 51 through 30 shows that Mary knows what the arrival of this baby means. It means that everything is not as it appears. Things are not as they seem. God has upended the social order of this world. Those things which cause certain men to oppress others have been upended. And so the proud are scattered in the thoughts of their hearts. The rulers are brought down from their thrones. The humble are exalted. The hungry are filled with good things. The rich are sent away empty-handed. What does all this mean? It means God's leveled the playing field. God has leveled the playing field. It doesn't matter how much you think you've accomplished or how much power or wealth you may have acquired. God has shown that you, in your own strength, are not sufficient to earn your own way into his eternity. Moreover, you will never find your way to the God who is above all by looking down on everyone else. So stop thinking, how great am I? And start singing, how great are you, O God. And this message of hope is for us, my friends. Because God's leveling of the playing field means that it doesn't matter how poor you are. 
It doesn't matter how broken you are. It doesn't matter how many times you've been called a failure or how many times you've emptied the bank or how many relationships you've wrecked. It doesn't matter how low you are on the totem pole. God's grace has come for you. His mercy has been extended to you generation after generation. His mercy is for you. And all must come with the same humility that says, I am not enough on my own. You see, the the playing field's been leveled. Your righteous deeds are not enough before God. They never were. They never will be. Stop trying to earn your way into heaven and start trusting the narrow way that God has revealed through this Christmas appearance. God is with us purely By his grace, he offers his salvation through one Savior, who is Jesus Christ. He is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And so, yes, exalt the Lord and rejoice because he has leveled the playing field. But fourthly and finally, exalt the Lord and rejoice because he keeps his promises. As Mary winds down her song, she rejoices in God's promises. He remembered his mercy, and he has given help to Israel, his servant. God has done exactly what he said he would do to Israel's forefathers. Even in his promise to Abraham, we see these yuletide hints of God's promises that are now being fulfilled in this Christmas event that Mary sings about. As this Savior, this child is born. To save the world. And my friends, hear me on this. There are greater promises still to be fulfilled. There are greater promises still to be fulfilled. Do you believe that? Jesus said that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is coming again? Jesus has said that he will return for his own. This, my friends, is a promise that we can cling to. This is a promise that gives us hope. This is a promise that knowing the God who keeps his word, we can rejoice in even in the midst of bleak circumstances here and now. Because, my friends, these circumstances don't have the last say. Our God will have the last say. And nothing could be more important than for your decision to receive this gift of all gifts. Don't miss God's gift on this Christmas. Don't miss the opportunity to cling to his mercy and his grace and what he has extended to you through this holy child who would suffer shame, who would have no place to lay his head, who would be stripped Naked and beaten and mocked and spat upon, who would be nailed to a cold cross of Calvary with a crown of thorns pressed upon his brow so that he could bear the condemnation that you deserve. God has extended to you this gift of the one who would die in your place, the just for the unjust, that we might be reconciled to him and praise God as a sign that God, through this sacrifice, 
has had his wrath appeased for each one of us who rightfully deserve it. God raised this one from the dead. And he rules and reigns forevermore. And all he calls for us to do, my friends, is to entrust our lives to him. Turn away from your sin and say, Jesus, you just take my life. You take my eternity. I'm trusting in you. You've done all the things I could not do. You are the righteousness that I could never attain. Let me be found in you. And my friends, that is a way. That is God's designed way. That is the narrow way into eternal life. Don't let this Christmas pass by without receiving this greatest of all gifts. A British missionary to Tibet named Jeffrey Bull was seized by communists following their takeover of China in 1949. His future was bleak. His captors drove him day and night across frozen mountains until he despaired of life. And he was led late one afternoon into an upstairs room which had been swept clean, but which only had a charcoal heater for warmth. He was given a meager supper, and then he was sent downstairs in this imprisonment to feed the horses. It was very dark and very cold. His boots squished on the manure and the straw floor. The smell of the animals was nauseating to him. The horses were weary from the journey, but still this missionary expected that at any moment he might be kicked by one of them. And here this missionary, cold, weary, lonely, and ill, began to feel sorry for himself. He later wrote about that moment with these words. Then I continued to grope my way in the darkness. It suddenly flashed into my mind. What's today? I thought for a moment. In traveling, the days had become a little muddled in my mind. Suddenly it came to me. It's Christmas Eve. I stood sudden, suddenly still in that oriental manger. To think that my Savior was born in a place like this. To think that he came all the way from heaven to some wretched eastern stable. And what is more, to think that he came for me. How men beautify the cross and the crib as if to hide the fact that at birth we resigned him to the stench of beasts. And at death exposed him to the shame of rogues. I returned to the warm, clean room, which I enjoyed even as a prisoner. Bowed to thankfulness and worshipped. Can you worship in the midst of your circumstances, my friends? Is the reality of God's gift in ascending, really descending to this level, is that enough for you to say, I will rejoice in these circumstances? How many kings have left their thrones to come to you? How many presidents have left their offices to come to you? My friends, I would be surprised if, if a county commissioner would even be willing to leave his office and come to me. And yet, here we have the agent through whom all things were created. The ruler of all who descends to the lowest of all places. To be robed in flesh. To be in this helpless babe. To be placed in this rotten, stenchy place of a manger. A feed trough for his bed. Love. This, my friends, 
is the joy we celebrate at Christmas. God's gift has come for you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the gift of the Christ. We thank you for God in the flesh. The very Son of God come down for us as an agent to welcome us into eternal life. And Father, as we light candles in these moments to come, as we see this light being passed from place to place, may you help us to remember that the light of the world has come for us. And may this light, O oh Lord, be a source of hope. May this light be a source of encouragement. May this light be a source for us to say, it doesn't matter what circumstances are going on in my life right now. I choose hope. I choose to exalt you. I choose to worship you on this day, Lord. Because your promises are true. And we have great expectations. That these things are but temporary road bumps on the narrow way to eternal life that you've granted to us. We thank you for this gift and pray in the remaining moments as we sing and song in this service, O oh Lord, that you would truly open our hearts to praise you. You would truly humble each one of us to see how great and how loving and how wonderful a God you are. And we might just burst forth in. Pray. I pray these things in Jesus' name.